Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year. And this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I'm your host, Bill Real. I don't think this episode will be very long, but I wanted to share with you one of the paradigms in which I I make things work. I get questions all the time from listeners and others who are aware of me on how I make different facets of the church work. And I think if one is going to stay in the church long term, having having discovered the nuance and complexity, one has got to find new ways to to see things. And and I probably ought to start off by saying that I'm I'm perfectly comfortable with the church having having taken the doctrine, the true doctrine, the things that Heavenly Father has stated to us through revelation, mostly to the prophet Joseph Smith, that we in turn take those revelations and we we decipher them to mean more or less than what God is actually saying. That, And I'll give an easy example. So there's the, the Doctrine and Covenants quote that says, whether by the voice of my, my own voice or by the voice of my servant, it is the same. And many Latter-day Saints and even leaders at times and... Uh, and we've heard it from the pulpit, and we've heard it in general conversation, perhaps in a Sunday school class or other places, that essentially what this means is that whenever the prophet speaks, he is speaking on behalf of God. And so whether he's the one saying it, or whether God's the one saying it, it is the same. And as many of us know, this is a, this is stretching it too far, because we also have the scripture, which is a prophet, is only a prophet when acting as such. And I shouldn't say scripture, it's a quote from Joseph Smith. Uh, it is not canon, though Though I find it to be helpful. And so when I look at those two quotes, I realize that it's it's messier than that. That yes, when a prophet is acting as a prophet, he is speaking the mind and will of God. We are to then follow the prophet. And the only way in which we can know that is through the power of the Holy Ghost. But I, I want to make the point clear that I'm perfectly comfortable that we do this often. That even on official levels we do this. We take DNC section 20 verse 1 to mean that Jesus was born on April 6th, when in all likelihood that, that is not the case. And so we're left, we're left essentially realizing that we fall short on deciphering God's word to us, and we often overstate or understate what the Lord is actually telling us through his revelation to his prophets. I also allow that prophets will get inspiration from God on some idea or point, and they, in transferring that information to us, will overstate or understate what was told to them. And by doing this, I essentially allow for us to be wrong at times, but it have but it to have no impact on the church. Now, with that said, let me move into the idea I wanted to share. I feel often overwhelmed at people who will write into the podcast or who will contact me by some other method and will say, share with me how frustrated 
they are with the things that are said. That essentially they've, they've become comfortable with prophets being fallible, but they cannot reconcile some of the things that these fallible prophets, seers and revelators will say. And they'll be frustrated with what other members of the church will say in conference or even at the local level, but specifically at higher levels of church leadership and specifically in formal places that we take to be the inspired words of God, such as general conference. And many of these members will, and again, I'm not saying that all of them, it's, it's any one issue, but just to give some examples, they will be frustrated with the LGBT issue that essentially here we are, a church led by revelation, and these members completely feel and get and think and hold the position that the church is wrong on this issue, that at some point God is going to correct our misconception of homosexual behavior being sin if all other things are in accordance with God's commandments. In other words, if two gay men are legally married or two gay women are legally married, that essentially the Lord does not consider those to be sin and they feel like the church is off on these issues. They also grow frustrated when members in the church or leaders in the church will say things such as it is our responsibility to be obedient and always follow the prophet. Because as we started off earlier, it's just messier than that. There'll be members of the church who are rubbed the wrong way when, when things are said or taught that are hurtful to them. It would be easy to go back in time and use the race issue as one that, that members of the church taught officially that blacks were less valiant, that intermarriage, interracial marriage was sin and that blacks had the curse of Cain. When we say things like that, they hurt people. They damage people. They cause depression, anxiety, frustration, anger, sadness. And that for a member of the church in that time to have stood up and said, hey, guys, you're wrong on this. This is not a healthy view to take. One would have been ostracized and marginalized for saying such. And yet time has told us that they would have been right. And so the assumption, I think, is there that these same kinds of things are possibly happening today. And and so members write me saying, how do you deal with this? How do you, on one hand, have a testimony that the church is the Lord's church, that it is led by God, that these are his authorized servants, and yet these these men and women say and do things that completely violate God's love for his children. And then on top of that, there is this idea that these these men and women are special servants of God, that in a sense, they claim to know of of the gospel's truthfulness with certainty. I'll give an example, Elder Holland, and I love Elder Holland. In, in the April General Conference, as well as in a visit that he made to our uh, our area for some training. The quote that uh, that he used both in conference and in that meeting was this. He said, I bear witness of that gospel and that church with a particular witness of restored priesthood keys which unlock the power and efficacy of saving ordinances. And then he says this, I am more certain that those keys have been restored and that those ordinances are once again available through the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints then I am certain I stand before you at this pulpit and you sit before me in this conference. And he, he said something very similar in our training meeting. But it's this idea of certitude, of being sure that the church is true. It, it, it implies that one has had such a spiritual manifestation 
that one knows of with certainty that the gospel is true. There are others who have said similar things. Ezra Tap Benson once said, he said, as one of those called as special witnesses, I add my testimony to those fellow apostles. He lives. He lives with resurrected body. There is no truth or fact of which I am more assured or know better by personal experience than the truth of a literal resurrection of our Lord. President Packer said this. He said, I am a witness to the truth that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, that he has a body of flesh and bone, that he knows those who are his servants here, and that he is known of them. I know he directs this church now as he has established it through a prophet of God. President Packer also said this, Though I have not asked that question of others, I have heard them answer it, but not when they were asked. I have heard one of my brethren declare, I know from experiences too sacred to relate that Jesus is the Christ. I have heard another testify, I know that God lives, I know that the Lord lives. More than that, I know the Lord. I repeat, they have answered this question not when they were asked, but under the prompting of the Spirit, on sacred occasions when the Spirit beareth record. There are some things just too sacred to discuss, he goes on. Not secret, but sacred, not to be discussed, but to be harbored and protected and regarded with the deepest of reverence. Have you seen him, he is asked? President Packer says, that is a question that I have never asked of another. I have not asked that question of my brethren in the quorum, thinking that it would be too so sacred and so personal that one would have to have some special inspiration, indeed some authorization even to ask it. I have come to know what the prophet Alma meant when he said, It is given unto many to know the mysteries of God. Nevertheless, they are laid under strict command that they shall not impart, only according to the portion of his word, which he doth grant unto the children of men, according to the heed and diligence which they have given unto him. There are those who hear testimonies born in the church, by those in high station, by members in wards and branches, all using the same words, I know that God lives, I know that Jesus is the Christ, and come to question, why cannot it be said in plainer words? Why aren't there, why aren't they more explicit and more descriptive? Cannot the apostles say more? Some seek for a witness to be given in some new and dramatic different way to one who is honestly seeking the testimony born of these simple phrases is enough. For it is the spirit that beareth record, not the words. And, and there are others, other quotes along those same lines. Um, I will include a link for these so that you can read them. But there is this idea that the general authorities seem to infer that they've seen Christ or they've had some other heavenly manifestation that sets them as, apart differently as special witnesses of the Savior. And yet they don't share, they don't share the details of those interactions other than to testify that they know. And then we look at the scriptures and we see the scriptures talk about Paul being on the road to Damascus or Peter being let out of prison by angels, of Moses talking to God face to face, of Abraham or Noah, of John the Revelator. So many instances in the scriptures of prophets having, having spoken to God and whose witness and record and experience are freely shared in the scriptures. And so it becomes easy to struggle with why the leaders in this dispensation seem to want us to think they've seen Christ and know, but seem unwilling to share that testimony with us. And so these two ideas, this one of their, their testimony and why we can't know more of it. And then, and then two, the things that are said that seem contrary or hurtful or damaging to us or others. 
and trying to reconcile those two issues with the idea that prophets are the servants of God authorized by his priesthood and with priesthood keys to administer the gospel to us. And so here's the way I make it work. Here's the way it fits for me. This is, this is how I put the pieces together. I look at all the statements that general authorities have made about their special witness. And what I gather from that is that each of them, this is my belief, this is what I have faith in, is that each of them have a personal, private interaction with the Savior Jesus Christ that allows them to be a special witness of him. But that aside from that special witness, that experience that they have, the Savior is rarely, perhaps once every 20, 30 years, actually delivering a message to the brethren personally to correct some misnomer in our doctrine or in our procedures or policies or to give us more scripture. I feel like outside of that one experience, they are for the most part left to listen to the Holy Ghost and to do the best they can. This would explain both sides of the coin. It would explain why they can bear testimony so strongly, but which they are unable to share a private experience with the Savior. It explains why the church gets things wrong at times, while also still being able to claim that they are indeed special witnesses of Christ and that the church is led by him. I think if we can see things in that way, we can begin to see other angles into this issue. I'll use Fowler's stages of faith as an example. In Fowler, just briefly, Fowler lists... It's James Fowler. He lists uh, stages in which faith transitions. It starts in stages one and two being a very uh, mythical way of seeing things. Stage three is seeing things literally black and white, everything being very simple dichotomies that the world is split into. Stage four is chaos when you begin to realize the world is more nuanced, but you can't make it all fit, and it tends to just throw everything apart. And you have to disassemble your faith. And stage five is putting things back together in a way that that works comfortably for you. That allows you to still hold on to the principles while also seeing the myth or allegory or figurativeness of different aspects of, of one's faith. And stage six is a place where one is so committed to serving others and the greater good and the greater truth that one will put one's life at risk in order to serve those around them because that's more important than self. And I just want to use stages three, four, and five maybe as an example. Fowler suggested that a large percentage, I would even argue a majority of people find themselves in stage three and no further for the rest of their life, that many see things in a black and white or in a dichotomy type of way. And very few people get into stage four and even fewer make their way into stage five and very, very select few. And I don't mean select as in they've been chosen, but very, very select few people make it to stage six. Fowler suggested people like Gandhi, Jesus Christ, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, people like that were those who would be examples of stage six behavior. But setting stage six aside for a minute and just focusing on three, four, and five, if we begin to see, to comprehend, to understand that the majority of people are in stage three, it would make perfect sense then to see that the majority of leaders within any faith, Jehovah Witnesses, Latter-day Saints, Catholic, whatever, 
would also be stage three. These stages of faith have nothing to do with intelligence, awareness. Uh, they have nothing to do with, you know, how much one reads or studies. Although they can have an impact, they do not determine. Just because one has a high IQ doesn't mean that one is automatically left stage three and moved into stage four and five. Just because one is well read doesn't mean that one has moved through those. And so if we can realize that the majority of people are in stage three and therefore, hence, in all likelihood, the majority of LDS leaders are in stage three or the majority of Catholic leaders are in stage three, it may shine a different light on the way in which they word things in their talks and messages and teachings. And if we will allow someone in this earlier stage of Fowler's stages of faith to see the world a certain way and to teach it based on their perception then we might be able to begin to look at general authorities or leaders in other faiths and cut them some slack, realizing that they are are sharing the message as they understand it. It's not that they're wrong. I'll give an example. In conference, sometimes we'll hear this idea of follow the prophet, that we should always follow the prophet. And, and in that is this idea that, hey, that's not quite right. It's way more messy than that. Well, that's fine. But in a sense, follow the prophet is not wrong. That that statement by itself is truth. You and I might add to the end when a prophet is acting as such. But and that may clarify the statement, but that doesn't mean that the the original phrase is wrong. And once we see that that those who teach follow the prophet are not necessarily wrong, but they're teaching things in a a more simple way. And if we cut them the slack because that's the way in which they see the world, then I begin a lot I think it begins to allow a lot more leniency, understanding, empathy, compassion for the way in which things are taught. If if stage three leaders are teaching stage three members, we should expect those teachings to be simple and that the members will get what they need from those messages. In turn, if we are in stage four and we hear stage four and stage five leaders speak to us, we'll recognize that they are grasping the nuance. I'm not going to sit here and name general authorities and tell you where I think they are. That would that would seem silly and inappropriate. But I would suggest that just using one example, President Uchtdorf, I, I listen to President Uchtdorf talk. I listen to the talks that he gives, the way in which he presents material. And I feel like Fowler would very much see him in one of those advanced stages that he would, he, that President Uchtdorf presents things in a very nuanced way that restricts the amount of judgment we can extend to others. And maybe just using him as an example, we can see that within Mormonism, there are various perspectives, even among leaders, that some of them see the world in a very black and white, either or way, and some of them see it in a very complex, nuanced, messy way. And no one way is right or wrong. Some way, each way involves truth. Some seem to grasp maybe more of it or see it in a better light. But I don't think this changes at all how we how we tackle the things that are said. I, I just think we have to come to a place where we allow more room for faith, for flexibility. But in that flexibility, we also have to allow some to still see things very rigidly and strictly. And there is, there's no right or wrong to this. I'm not saying that there aren't things said that are wrong. There are. I'm saying that being in this black and white phase is not absolutely wrong versus seeing things in a nuanced, complex way. My hope is that maybe by sharing this, that prophets have perhaps had 
a visitation with Jesus Christ, have had an experience directly with him, that that experience was meant as a personal experience. Nothing was shared that they were to share with the world. It was not a revelation to the world, but a revelation to them. That would account for their testimony. If we allow for prophets to then be in various phases of faith, then we can also allow some leniency with the ways in which they teach and recognize why sometimes things rub us the wrong way. Once we grasp those two sides of the coin, I think when we listen to our prophets and apostles speak, we can begin to make more sense out of what they're saying and take from it the revelation and inspiration that was intended for us to take. I bear witness that in the talks our leaders give is inspiration found. While I have not seen the living Christ, and while many argue whether he was simply a itinerant preacher or whether he was the son of God, I bear testimony that regardless, he has changed my life. I bear witness of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that those gospel principles which we interact with, which we implement into our lives, they make us better. I have a testimony that being better today than what we were yesterday is important and that it blesses our lives. I bear witness that scriptures can have heavenly influence on us. They indeed can magnify us. I bear witness that prayers bring us more in tune with those things that we need to see. I'm grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I have faith that this is his church. May we each see with more empathy and compassion the testimony, the messages, and the teachings of those who have been called and authorized by the Lord Jesus Christ to serve us on our behalf. May the Lord warm your shoulders. God bless and amen. Amen.